Our Old Testament lesson this morning is uh, Psalm 22, the first 18 verses. And you might be familiar with this psalm. This is one <clears throat> that, uh, that Jesus actually quotes from when he is dying on the cross. He quotes from the first line of the psalm, and many people think <clears throat> that the reason that he quotes the first line is as a way of kind of calling to mind the whole psalm uh, for, for everyone. And so we're not going to read the whole psalm this morning, but we're going to read the first 18 verses of it. <clears throat> and uh, again, just a, something to keep in mind as we read it, this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a means of execution. Uh, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear your word today. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears. We pray that you would uh, give us minds to understand. Lord, we pray that you would that you would have been preparing our hearts even before now, that we would be ready to receive your word into our hearts and into our lives, that by your word and by your spirit, we would even today be made more and more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22. For the director of music to the tune of the dove of the morning, or the doe of the morning, sorry. So if you know that tune can sing this later. Uh, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That's where we're going to stop for now. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, 1 John chapter 5, 
verses 1 through 5. John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you may have heard the expression before uh, that being in church doesn't make someone a Christian any more than being in a garage makes someone a car. And what we are looking at this morning is actually uh, a passage in John 19 where Jesus is on the cross But we are specifically uh, looking at what's happening with the people around him, those who are near the cross. And there are different responses. But we're going to really just look at two of those this morning and kind of see the the contrast between those who are near him um, physically and those who are near him relationally. For this, we are looking at John 19, verses 23 to 27. It says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here we have the scene of Jesus on the cross, and, but there's more than just Jesus on the cross. There's what's going, down, what's going on down at the foot of the cross. And as I say, there are two groups. So who are the two groups? Well, there's the group of soldiers, right? And the other group is this group of, uh, of women and of John, uh, John, of course, doesn't give his own name, but just describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, this is the way that John continually identifies himself as though his identity has been taken over by how overwhelmed he is that Jesus would love even him. And so uh, as he writes about Jesus and as he writes about himself, he doesn't even use his own name, but just the disciple Jesus loved. Still can't believe it, kind of a thing. This group that is uh, with John, there's a question as to how many women it is. 
that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> there are different ways you can read this. But before we get into that, I want to uh, ask you a question. How many disciples did Jesus have? Anybody know how many disciples Jesus had? Be careful, it's kind of a trick question, yeah? Thirteen. Interesting. Very interesting. I like that answer. Um, so you might, say, you might say 12. Jesus called the 12, right? Uh, then you have uh, Judas, who is no longer in the picture here, but then he does get replaced. And so that does make an extra one. There you have 13. Uh, that's very clever. So yes, there are uh, 12 or 11 or 13, depending on how you want to count them. But actually, there's more. Because Jesus did call 12 disciples uh, in particular as a way of we've been looking at Jesus as the king of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Um, And we've been looking at that the last several weeks. And that's part of what he's doing in calling 12 is it's to call to mind the old kingdom of Israel with the 12 tribes. And now here Jesus is with his 12 disciples. But he actually has more disciples than just that. Um. In fact, if you look at John chapter 6, there's a part where it says Jesus is teaching and there are all these people around. And then it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And his response to that, Jesus' response is, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Do you hear that? The 12 are still there, even though many disciples have left. So it's obviously a bigger number of disciples. And so a lot of times when we see Jesus talking with the crowds, many of the people in the crowds were also considered disciples of Jesus, not just the 12. And so then we get uh, other places where Jesus explains. Uh, John 8 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Not if you're one of the 12, but if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In John 13, he says to uh, the the 12, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And again, in John 15, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Some of the people that uh, that are his disciples are some of the women who had come with him to Jerusalem. Uh, We see that in Mark 15. Uh, Mary Magdalene as one of those. And it says, In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs, and many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there as he's coming to Jerusalem uh, before he's crucified. And so when we look at these two groups that are at the foot of the cross. The one group is Roman soldiers. The other group are disciples of Jesus. People who have uh, known him, who have been following him, who have been holding to his teaching, who have been loving one another, that sort of thing. What are they each doing? The thing is compare contrast. Comparing what they have in common is they're all in the same vicinity. They're all there at the foot of the cross. 
but they're not doing the same things, are they? First of all, where are the soldiers looking? That doesn't say exactly. But as you imagine what's going on and what they're doing, where are they looking? Are they looking up at Jesus? And what are they doing? They're looking down at his clothes. They've divided his clothes among them. They're distributing into four equal sections, or four sections, maybe not equal. And then there's the one that they're casting lots to see who is going to get the one garment that is woven together of one piece. Looking down, casting lots, dividing the garments. Do they care about Jesus? I sure don't get that impression. Now the soldiers, it doesn't look like they care about Jesus at all. Instead, what do they care about? The stuff they're getting. They care about what they can get from him. And before we go any farther, let's just think about that for a second. The soldiers don't care about Jesus. They only care about what they can get from him. Are there people like that today? Are we ever like that today? The soldiers don't care about Jesus. They only care about what they can get from him. Let's look at at the contrast. We have the disciples. Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, as well as John, the disciple whom he loved. Where do you picture them looking? Are they looking up at the cross? Are they looking up at Jesus? That's sure how I picture it. In fact, Jesus speaks to them from the cross, and they hear. They're paying attention. Do they care about Jesus? Oh, yeah. That sure seems to be the case, that yes, they care about Jesus. How do we know that they care? Well, there are a couple ways. One, they're still there. They are there at the cross. The soldiers had to be there. These folks are there because they chose to be there. And they are there because they care. In fact, there's really not anything they're expecting to gain from being there. What they gain from being there is association with a convicted criminal. What they gain from being there is having people who are insulting him insult them as well. The people who are laughing at Jesus, ha-ha, you think you're a king, are going to laugh at the people who are following him, ha-ha, you thought he was a king. There's nothing they stand to gain in the eyes of the world by being there. The only reason they're there is because they care. That's one reason we know they care. Another one is this. When Jesus uh, saw his mother there, this is verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. 
And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. How do we know they cared? Because they listened to what Jesus said, and they did it. They actually did what it was that Jesus said. He says to uh, John and to Mary, to Mary, he says, here is your son. To uh, John, he says, here is your mother. Were they actually biologically mother and son? No. Did Mary have other sons who could have taken care of her? Yes. Were there others who had a legal responsibility to take care of her? Yes. And so John could have easily said, um, no, Jesus, I think you've got this wrong. <laughs> it's actually your brothers who need to do that, and I'll make sure that she goes and gets taken care of by them. But he doesn't. Jesus has already talked about, you know, it's whoever does the will of God, that is my mother and my brothers. Do you remember that part? When Jesus is teaching and they say, your mother and brothers are here. <laughs> no, no, it's those who obey the will of God. That, those are my mother and my brothers. Jesus redefines the family as, just, as much as he redefines the kingdom. So he says it's not about a political uh, kingdom, and it's not just about a biological family. But if we are part of this kingdom of God, we are also brought into this family of God. And in that, we have uh, responsibilities to one another that go far above even the legal responsibilities uh, that Jesus' brothers would have had to take care of Mary. These are, it's a responsibility to really love. So Jesus says this to Mary and to John, and they do it. John takes Mary and cares for her because Jesus said so. So what we saw the soldiers, we said they, they don't care about Jesus. They only care about what they can get from him. On the other hand, you have the disciples who do care about Jesus, and they care about what and who he cares about. Do you see the distinction? It's very different. Do you see people like that today? Like those disciples who uh, care about Jesus and who care about what and who he cares about? Yeah. Are we those people? Sometimes. Hopefully more often than not. But this is the distinction. Now, I mentioned uh, before that they still have something in common, and that is their location, their proximity. And I bring that up because the same reason I say, you know, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. It's easy to come to church and uh, to be close to the things of Jesus. But only have in mind um, a transactional relationship. What can I get and how can I get it? But think about this. Can you imagine 
a scene where you have a young man who proposes to a young woman, and he gets down on one knee, and he opens the box of the engagement ring, and her face lights up, and she grabs the ring, and she says, oh, thank you. This is what I've always wanted. You can go now. Of course not. That would be terrible. And yet, for many people, it's exactly how they treat what's going on on the cross. Oh, this is how I can get forgiveness? Oh, this is how I can get a ticket to heaven? Oh, this is how I can get things uh, maybe in this life? You can go now. And we act more like the soldiers than we do like the disciples. There's a book that I highly recommend by Sky Jatani called With, uh, that talks about the different ways in which people relate to God, whether it is uh, looking at life under God or life over God or life from God or life for God, and how uh, and this is kind of what the soldiers are doing here as well, is seeing what they can get from uh, Jesus. But what uh, the author points out, that's all looking at it wrong. That there are aspects of those, there's a bit of truth in each one, but none of those are what it's about. That what it's always been about is life with God. This is what we see in uh, the Garden of Eden. This is what we see at the end of the book of Revelation. And what we see is that whole thing has been broken down, but that's what Jesus came to fix, that we actually can have life with God here and now and on to forever. And so anytime we see, and there are thousands of books and sermons out there, anytime we see something that claims to be a here's how you can get what you want from God kind of a message, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not here's how you can get what you want from God. That's magic formulas, that's paganism, that's idolatry. The gospel is, here's how you can have life with God. Here's how you can have an actual relationship with God. Here's how you can know the God who loves you and cares about you so much that his son would die for you. And this is how you can have a life with him that allows you to start to care about the things he cares about and to care about the people that he cares about and to help care for the people he cares for. It's a whole different Uh, It's a whole different life. It's a whole different way. And it's important that we clarify this from time to time so we don't accidentally end up like the soldiers who are close to the cross, who are around Jesus. But don't care. They don't care about him. They don't care about what he cares about. They only care about what they can get from him. We will continue this story next week. But for now, my prayer is that we would reflect on where we are. Are we far from the cross? Are we near the cross? And if we are far from the cross, how can we come near? And if we are near the cross, 
Are we near just transactionally? Are we near relationally? Do we care about Jesus and do we care about what he cares about? And do we care about who he cares about? If not, may today be a day of repentance and today be a day of revival. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for the gifts that you have given. We thank you most of all for the gift of your Son. But Lord, we pray that you would help us never um, to take the gifts for granted and never to take the gifts and reject the giver. Lord, we pray that you would raise our eyes, that we would look uh, to you as the one who truly loves and who truly cares about us and about others. God, we pray that you would help us uh, to see the people that you care about, to see the ways that you are calling us to help, to meet the needs of others. Not as a way of getting anything, but just because you care and you've called us to care as well. God, we thank you for inviting us into this life with you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to follow well as your disciples. We pray this all in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.